Hey everybody, Sarah Craiger back with Vents 201. Apologies, it took a little longer than I had planned to get to Vents 201. Uh, COVID sort of took over my life for a minute. We had a very exciting time in LA. Good news, I definitely learned a lot. Felt like an idiot almost every day of COVID, but now feel like slightly less of an idiot. I learned a lot. So here we go, Vents 201. We broke Vents 201 down into eight different sections. Tried to make the section shorter. I know this is is kind of dense. We're going to start with a little preface for some context. Then we're going to talk about our goals, big picture, of mechanical ventilation. Then we're going to talk about a topic that I actually really enjoy, which is patient vent dyssynchrony. Then we're going to do resistance and compliance 201. We talked about this a lot in Vents 101. However, we're going to take it up a notch, do 201 graduate level course in resistance and compliance. Then my very favorite thing, which is reading the vent, kind of like an EKG. Reading the vent is broken down into two sections, reading the vent like lung injury and reading the vent like obstructive physiology. Then we're going to get to the section that I have been asked for multiple times, which is the section on IRV and most importantly, APRV. And finally, we're going to talk about vent management of VQ mismatch. And, you know, I originally wasn't going to talk about this, but after a lot of my experiences with COVID, I decided to talk about it because increasingly I've decided it's important. Now, what we're going to do differently now is I've had a lot of requests for some bottom line up front, as well as some kind of a written summary to try and remember some of this. So we are going to take the bottom line up front and then make it into little cards. Here is, for each section, the bottom line up front. Preface. In the preface, the bottom line, I find the literal applicability of a lot of the vent literature to real actual ICU vent management not super straightforward. Also, you got to know the difference between goals where you're going and targets how you get there. Not the same thing. Don't conflate them. You get yourself in trouble. In terms of goals, uh, remember SATs, the like simile analogy thingies? Yeah. Key thing about goals. Ventilators are to respiratory failure as crutches are to ankle sprains, not as antibiotics are to infections. I think that'll make sense when we talk about it. Then there are really two goals of mechanical ventilation. The first, you're buying time for the lungs. The second, you're making sure the patient doesn't injure their own lungs further. Next is patient vent dyssynchrony. So it turns out that um, something I didn't appreciate initially when I started doing ICU was how much this can contribute to significant hypoxemia. That's why you care about this. And then, you know, the big thing here is the easy way to solve this is just to know them. Go nuts with sedation, do like 20 milligrams of Versed, but it's maybe not the most sort of nuanced way to do this. What you really should be doing is figure out why the patient is asynchronous and try and fix it. Next, resistance and compliance 201. Here, we're going to get into some of the more technical details and terminology about the PEEP, the plateau, the PIP, airway resistance, and then we're going to talk about static compliance. Then, reading the vent section. Um, in that section, we're going to talk about are the lungs recruitable? How do you get the mass, the peep that you want? And we're going to talk about things like pressure volume loops, driving pressures, and figuring out how things like static compliance help you optimize their lungs in hypoxemic respiratory failure. IRV and APRV. So 
I tried to sum up those things in a couple sentences, bottom line up front. It was not that easy, but I tried. I'm not going to read all that. And then lastly, management of EQ mismatch, which is approximating physiologic dead space fraction by your PaCO2 and tidal CO2 ratio and realizing that if you're hypercarbic because of a lot of physiologic dead space, the ventilator cannot fix your problem. So those are going to be the sections. We're going to put all of the bottom line up front on a card. You can take a look at it later. But now we're going to go back and go through these one by one, starting with the preface. So ventilator management to me is just as much an art as a science. You know, I think that we see all these diagrams and graphs and read all these books and it gives us the numbers and the, honestly, yes, but at the same time, it really is, a lot of it is an art. A lot of it is sort of sometimes a sixth sense and looking at something, thinking about it, not knowing why you know what you know, and, you know, making the vent your portrait. I know that sounds a little crazy, but bear with me. Um, one of the reasons I think we really focus on the science of ventilator management and forget the art part is because we really want evidence-based medicine. We want algorithms. We want to be sure about things. We want somebody to tell us what to do. Problem is, the role of evidence-based medicine in ventilator management, it's a little complicated. And I think that if you look at the evidence, a lot of the evidence doesn't mean what you think it means. And if you look at it, trying to apply it in a literal way to the patient in front of you in the ICU is simply not that straightforward. Now, why is that? Well, the first thing is the special snowflake syndrome. That's actually a thing, apparently. I was like Googling snowflakes online to get a picture. And apparently there's a book called like special snowflake something, something millennial, something, something. I don't know. Anyway, um, we're not talking about that special snowflake syndrome. We're talking about the fact that ICU patients, especially ventilated patients, have this pesky habit of being different from each other, sometimes in very profound ways. Sometimes, in fact, often, even when they have the same disease process, or at least what we think is the same disease process, which brings us to problem number two with the research, which is definitions. So if you look at a lot of the ARD studies, for example, it just lumps everybody together with ARDs. The problem with that is that it completely ignores the concept of phenotypic subtypes. It completely ignores that there's a lot of nuance here that different sort of clusters of ARDS patients can have very different lung physiology, can behave very differently, and can respond differently to different mechanical ventilation strategies. And so to me, one of the big problems with a lot of the vent literature is just an apples to oranges problem. Um, but in a way, if only it were just an apples to oranges problem, because it's not like, you know, we have half of them who are physiology A and half who are physiology B, if only it were that simple. But to me, it's not really apples and oranges. It's like a fruit salad. Now, here's the issue with that. Um, the issue with that is that um, what we're doing in research is the following. Most studies look something like this. We take our fruit salad of all the fruit salad patients. We put it through a relatively simple study protocol because if it's too simple, it's fabulous. If it's too complicated, 
You can't do a study with an extremely complicated protocol. You can't do a study, especially a big one, with nuance. You can't do it with vent artistry. Why? Because that's going to be totally uncontrolled and confounding. So you got to take a simple protocol. You take your fruit salad, run it through the study protocol, and you get voila results that I am somehow supposed to extrapolate to the patient in front of me in the ICU. Now, what is the problem with that? The problem with that is that real life in the ICU looks more like this. Instead of taking a fruit salad through a simple machine, you're it kind of, you know, ignoring the fact in research that your machine actually looks more like this, that what you're really dealing with cannot be broken down into just like that little last part that spits out the results. Not only that, you're putting individual little snowflakes through that. And so it's just hard to extrapolate the research. So if I'm telling you that, you know, it's hard to extrapolate the evidence-based medicine. I don't really know what to do with it. Certainly like literally applying it to whatever my patient is right now. What's your alternative? And unfortunately, I think the main alternative is simply expertise. You know, you just have to know what you're doing. Um, there's no shortcuts. And I think, you know, if COVID has taught us anything, or certainly if it's taught me anything, is that to vent management, to do really good vent management for complex patients, really there are no shortcuts. There are no algorithms. You just have to become expert. You have to do thinking. You have to know what you're doing. Now, people ask me what I mean by that because like, it's very well for me to throw around broad words like become expert in whatever. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, to me, it sort of integrates a couple different components. You have your evidence that you need to independently evaluate. That does not mean reading the abstract. That means you need to jump into that paper, understand what it actually means and doesn't mean. Then you incorporate what you know about physiology, understanding that just like evidence, what we think we understand about physiology can be wrong. You know, for COVID, for example, we thought we understood lung physiology. Then COVID came along and we were like, okay, maybe we didn't quite get it as much as we thought we did. And then combined with your clinical gestalt, your sort of spidey sense. Then you take all of that, you synthesize it, you put it together, and that is how you get to what I like to call expertise. So now, a little more practical. Um, we have talked about before that especially when we're talking about the lungs, we talk about what we really want to do here is make the patient better right? That is our goal. This is not rocket science. I think we can all agree that the goal is to make the patient better. Done. Fantastic. Um, what's a little trickier is the relationship between making the patient better and making some numbers pretty. The idea with making numbers pretty is we like to think that if we target certain numbers, and get them in nice, pretty numbers where we want them, that will result in the patient getting better. The problem is, a lot of the time, we don't actually know what the right targets are. Um, and the relationship between making the numbers pretty and making the patient better is totally not straightforward. So I think in ICU care in general, and absolutely for vents, it's really important to not conflate your goals and your targets. Your goal is where you're going. We are going to the destination of make patient better. 
that is different than your targets because your targets are how you get there along the way. You know, one of the other things that's been really difficult about COVID is I don't know what to target. Should I be targeting a PAO2, but above what? Should I be targeting a driving pressure, a compliance? How low should I let the PAO2 go, a pH? We didn't know, and I feel like we still don't know, what the right targets are that will ultimately come together to make the patient better. But again, don't conflate them, because if you do, you just focus on making the numbers pretty. And if you get too distracted by your focus on making the numbers pretty, you may actually totally skip and lose sight of the fact that making the numbers pretty is in this case, not making the patient better and may in fact be making it worse. <laughs> 